0: The following podcast contains explicit language.
1: Hello, and welcome to the B side for episode 1637 of our national conversation about conversations about race, ladies first. I'm Anna, here with Tenzina Vega of CNN Money. Hi, Tenzina. Hello. And Tanner Colby. Tanner, hi.
2: Hi.
1: Okay, so on our last episode, we discussed taco truck guy, Marco Gutierrez, and minority self-loathing, as well as the potential for a blacklash. And yes, I coined that word, I think, and I'm proud of it, I think, uh, to the rich black cultural moment we're living through and enjoying right now. As always, we ask you, listeners, to chime in. So here's our producer, AC Valdez, with some of what you've all had to say about those issues and more. What's up, Anna?
0: Hello. Uh, So you'll recall that at the end of our Black Cultural Moment segment last week, we asked listeners for some recommendations. Marcus left this comment on Facebook. I'd like to recommend a short story called Jamaica by Orson Scott Card. It has a situation that points out race relations from the point of view of a black teen, which seems pretty cool, from a writer that I am fairly certain is white. I find Card to be a very thoughtful writer, and he seems to devote considerable imagination to writing from non-white slash non-American points of view. Check it out in an anthology called Way of the Wizard. Fantasy writing might not be your thing, but it is short. Do we have any fans of
2: Orson Scott Card?
1: I don't know him.
0: He's the author of Ender's Game and uh Oh yeah. Oh, didn't
2: he get in some trouble yeah, for yeah, some yeah, yeah. some weird comp what did he say? He had some some I have I don't know that off, about that. Off non politically correct. It's either again.
0: I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah.
2: Um No, that so. was one of those things like are you gonna support this film?
1: Well, you have your when computer in front of you. You should yeah. open it up and Google him.
2: I am going to, now that I'm thinking about it.
3: <laughs> I can't get on the Wi-Fi.
1: You can't get on... Oh. And you and me both, lady.
3: Okay. <laughs> oh, he was
2: an opponent of marriage equality. That was ah. It. Ah.
0: That's not super surprising. He is Mormon. There you go. Next, we're going to move on to this email from Javier, titled, Ladies First, A Mexican Perspective on the episode. I want to start off by saying I really enjoyed the episode. That said, can we ever discuss Mexican culture or politics without it devolving into a room full of gringas all going taco, taco, burrito, burrito? Those things are the very border of Mexican culture and cuisine, and it's condescending that it is all people know or care about. Like the Oscar so white discussion. I get it and I sympathize, but I'll be damned if anyone who's brought it up ever mentions the Mexican directors and photographers who have been dominating the few, last few years. That is because we are so low in the hierarchy of American discourse that we were barely even mentioned even in discussions about race. Even when we somehow manage to swim upstream and win against all odds, it's not mentioned. That's why you see so many, if you can't beat them, join them sellouts. I'm thinking he's thinking of uh, Marco Patero's here. Uh Being white is an infinitely easier path. Sure, step one is give up one of the richest cultures in the world, and step two is sell out other people based on their color, which is why light-skinned Mexicans are lagging so far behind the other groups of people who played ball and got upgraded to first class. Javier, as a light-skinned Mexican, I'm not feeling that one. I just want you to know. No, I got to
3: weigh in as a Latina on this I'm going to keep going on on this email. Oh, there's more.
0: Yeah, there's more. (laughs) Uh, You know, to be like those spoiled conservative college kids who confuse their parents working three jobs with themselves somehow being self-made libertarian ubermenches. Honestly, only the most privileged and parasitic people would call the working poor takers. But I spent my first 21 years in Sinaloa. Google the place, it's where the police get regularly decapitated. El Chapo was caught 10 blocks from the house I grew up in. That's why I'm against the drug war, against deporting refugees, and rigging trade deals to benefit select few. I've had to endure a few you-are-not-really-Mexican accusations due to my skin, but they've had less impact in my life than people who skipped over my resume or promotion due to my name. I want shit to be better for everyone, not just myself, so I hope Trump goes down in flames, not just for saying Mexicans are rapists and murderers, the type of thing you only hear these days from white supremacists, but also for emboldening the alt-right to go after all people of color.
3: All right. So there's a lot to unpack there. First of all, this, and this is probably its own episode unto itself, and you guys might have touched on this in the last episode that you guys did about self-loathing. This, this notion that all Latinos or a lot of Latinos who can pass, quote-unquote, pass for white are going to take that and run is false. I was having drinks the other day with a with the Chicano who, if you looked at him, you would say he's absolutely, you know, a white you man in someone America, exactly like me, and someone exactly <laughs> like you, but with blue eyes oh, okay. <laughs> so so even, and this is somebody who absolutely does not identify as a white person. So this narrative in, that I've seen quite a bit, including at, you know, in, in, I've had to push back on that at the times that Latinos are going to run out and say, you know, sort of turn their backs on, on people of color because they don't identify as people of color, I think is wrong. I think, yes, there are some Latinos who identify as white. That doesn't make them, in many instances, any less Latino. If they look in the mirror, often aren't, you know, the way we're received by the world is how we identify, right? There are also Latinos who look, uh, there are Afro-Latinos who people think are, are African-American or, you know, and they yeah. don't realize that they're Latino. So the way that the world receives us is very complicated. I really take issue with this whole concept of, you know, that we're going to abandon the conversation on race. We're not. Now, that said, we're not part of the conversation on race. And I think we often live in a very binary, black and white, conversation in this country on race, and there's reasons for that, right? Our history is not as much of a collective experience. When I say our, I mean the Latino history in the United States is not as much of a collective experience as it has been in the narrative of how many of us got here, okay? Puerto Ricans have a collective shared experience in how we got here. It's very different from guatemaltecos. It's very different than mexicanos. It's very different than, depending on what generation you got here and how you arrived. And so we don't, we have some connections in terms of language. We might have some connections in terms of food, but our collective identity is not the same as an African-American identity in many ways, right? And then there are some of us who are, that have African-American roots as well, and Black roots and Black Caribbean roots as well. So it's a very different experience for us. But the fact is, because of those divisions, because of those cultural and I think geographical and national divisions, we as Latinos have not been able to get it together in terms of really coalescing around a specific issue outside of immigration, which is why so many times we're only asked to talk about immigration. Right. That's the only thing they want. And can to I talk say something about. is like yeah. somebody <clears throat>
0: whose family has been here, like because Texas was Spain and then Mexico and I'm <laughs> right. pretty much as American like that really irks me because like the immigration thing, it's a very important issue to me. But that's always the first thing people ask me. And I'm like, my family's been here 500 years. But there's still
3: people who don't know Puerto Ricans are citizens, okay? <laughs> right. And like, that's like, I mean, I'm like, okay. Let's, or they don't even you know, know where
1: Puerto Rico is. They don't even know where it is
3: and they don't care, you know yeah. what I mean? And so, this other, this notion that, but did a panel the other day about Latinos and criminal justice and how there is no Brown Lives Matter movement right now, you know what I mean? There isn't a focus on, and that's largely because, you know, Latinos have to really figure out a way to coalesce their political power and there's no one latino leader you know when you ask people Pew did a study on this you ask people who would that be they'll say osonia oh, sotomayor or jorge ramos but i don't think there's one right. black leader either no there can, isn't there but we've never really had that figure but, and i feel like there's
1: it's
2: just can like can there be is I mean, be, do, like
0: because is that desirable though like i don't know i don't know if i want that necessarily i don't think it's possible latinos because i no. don't i don't but think it's possible because there's don't so many have... fractures within the latino community correct. itself correct
3: correct and what i'm saying is but that's stopping a lot of the political power that latinos could have right mm. not that there needs to be one leader but that we just we can't seem to really figure out what issue we want to you know well, coalesce around
2: there's definitely especially spend a lot of time in HBCUs and certain pockets of the black community, people literally almost can't bring themselves to use the first person singular. It is only we, mm-hmm. we um. do this, we do this, we do this. They only think of the collective and the way you're describing the, the vast range of, of Latino experiences. It's just not possible.
1: I was a little confused by his note, by this listener's email, because I wasn't sure what the, what point he was trying to get at. He may have just been trying to have a conversation, which you know engendered this conversation, but First of all, we weren't talking about tacos versus burritos. That wasn't a subject. It was an aside made in relation to a specific comment that Marco Gutierrez made about taco trucks. So it wasn't like it, we're not talking about, let's say, Mexican-Americans or Mexican nationals and someone yelled out, tacos! And to point
0: it out, not everybody in the room was a good guy either.
1: Right. Yeah. I get why that's irritating when it happens, but I don't think that was a good example of that happening. Um, I might, maybe I'm just feeling defensive, but I'm like, I don't, we weren't, we weren't, you know, discussing the merits really of Mexican food. The second thing he brought up was a discussion about all of the interesting and important cultural products that, are, that, that have been coming, especially out of Mexico and like Mexican filmmakers and creators. I agree that we should, we should talk about that. And you know, I think the focus of that episode was about African-American culture and, and and creativity, but I think we should definitely have a segment at some point about not just the art and culture coming out of Mexico, but any other number of countries, communities, diasporas. Let's do it. So yeah, let's definitely do that.
0: Awesome. Next thing is just kind of a light note to leave off on. Rachel emailed us about the subject that y'all were tweeting about, Anna, you, Raquel, and Rebecca were tweeting about right after we finished taping. Me? Tweet? <laughs> I came across this story about New York Fashion Week, which I thought I'd share. As a black woman who loves the arts, fashion and makeup included, this was another heartbreaking but not surprising show on the runway. Mark Jacobs featured another example of lack of diversity, or whatever word is deemed most appropriate, And used colorful dreadlock extensions on the models. The worst part is in a tweet. He does not credit any black culture for this artistic styling and tries to justify his case by citing black women who straighten their hair. And then he says he doesn't see color. What a slap (laughs) in the face. Total disregard for Afro-Caribbean and black culture and just very disrespectful in my opinion. I actually like products by Marc Jacobs Beauty, but will not be purchasing anymore.
1: Uh, I like Marc Jacobs Beauty products as well, and I'm not I'm not even a beauty products person. I just haven't had a lipstick. That's great, but okay. I don't think that he had to like put a, a notation in the in the program that may or may not have accompanied his runway show about where dreadlocks originated. I mean, please. That said, his like comments after there was some pushback about it were ridiculous. And and I don't know what his point was about women... Can you catch us up on the gist of those? No, because I read them and then <laughs> forgot them. <laughs> it had something to do with black women straightening their hair or, or making a false equivalence <laughs> there. And then it was, it was something typically defensive and tone-deaf. You know, people are allowed to criticize him. Again, I don't think he should be expected to, like, footnote or annotate, you know, literally or figuratively every single thing that inspires him. But... Also, he needs to know how to, like, I don't know, think before he speaks or think, period. All right. And it sounded kind of harsh, but okay. Love the lipstick. Do you want to comment on Mark Jacobs with Tanzina? Okay. Sitting that one out. <laughs> oh, is there a reason? No. Okay. All right. <laughs> okay, listeners, thanks for weighing in. You can always shoot us a voice memo or an email if you want to chime in about the show. The address is showaboutrace at gmail.com.